Hi, and welcome back to Dear Science with me, Alice Williamson. And me, Bernie Hobbs. It's time once again for your scientific agony ants to help out someone who never asked us to. (laughs) That's all right. We take problems that have already been tackled in advice columns and give an unsuspecting letter writer an answer to their dilemma. Well, an answer to a dilemma anyway. (laughs) What have we got this time, Al? Something pretty special, actually. This time our letter has been sent into none other than the audit agony ant. The audit agony ant? Yes, that's Carol McLaughlin from the website Careers in Audit. She's helped hundreds of people with their auditing woes. I've picked a letter from someone who fears that their time as an auditor might be coming to an end. (gasps) Quel horror! Dear Carol, right now I'm a bit lost on what path I should follow. I believe my career in audit is over. Firstly, because I've been working in audit for almost nine years and I'm nowhere near where I should be. Secondly, because it's a really stressful job and doesn't allow for any work-life balance. What are my options? Anonymous. So that's a stressful job with no work-life balance. I don't believe I've ever heard of that situation before, Alice. What did Carol have to say? Well, lots of very specific and I dare say very helpful advice, but it was a very long answer, so I've audited her response. (laughs) Nice. Many options, management and commercial accounting, financial accounting or financial management, a more data analytical role, do the research, some self-discovery, find a career move that excites you. Okay, so chuck in your job in audit for another job in something audity that gives you more work-life balance. If science can't add anything to that, we're in trouble. We certainly would be, but don't worry, Bernie, because there are certainly some chemistry laws that can help out Anonymous. I think we need to help him feel better about where he's reached in his career so far and to take control of his work-life balance. Nice scale. Haber's a little bit of a troubled chemical figure. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Haber or Harbour? No, no, I have some cards. Okay, we're we're being serious. Well, just until we... Thank you for repeating everything. Is it something else? That's right. Focus on this. I'm back, Bernie, and I think I know how to help out our letter writer. Excellent news. What do you got? Well, his problems seem to be twofold. Firstly, that after nearly a decade in audit, his career hasn't quite taken him to where he wants to be. Yeah. And secondly, that he has no work-life balance. Yeah, I don't think I'd be happy after 10 years in auditing either. Bernie, this isn't about you, remember. It's about Anonymous. The thing is, he's actually wrong about both of his perceived problems. That's a bit harsh, Al. Well, I just think he's really asking the wrong questions because the idea of a career trajectory to this single ultimate destination or goal is a little bit off because your trajectory in life is always changing. Things come up and your goals and outcomes can change at any stage of your career. Have you been in a weekend management course? I'm not hearing a lot of science here, Al. Ah, Bernie, it's all about chemistry. And here's two issues which are finding the ultimate job and getting work-life balance, can be sorted out using just one concept. And that is equilibrium. I love it. When most people think about a chemical reaction, if they do at all, they might imagine that you take two starting materials, say A and B, and you react them together completely to make a product C. But that almost never happens. Sometimes we don't form any of the thing that we wanted to form. And sometimes you get a whole bunch of other stuff formed as well. Yeah, that happens all of the time. Thank God for purification. (laughs) But the key thing is that most chemical reactions don't just proceed in one direction. They're reversible. 
Yeah, so while A and B are reacting to make C, at the same time C is breaking down back into A and B. And this is all going on at the same time. And the thing is, most reactions never actually finish. They just get to a stage where the amounts of A, B and C stay the same, usually because C is breaking up at the same rate as it's being made. And that's when the reaction has reached equilibrium. And I think that work-life equilibrium is what our letter writer is looking for. Work-life equilibrium. You have so got to write a self-help book on that as soon as we're out of the studio. I've missed the Christmas market though, Bernie. (laughs) Damn it. It's too late. So equilibrium is the chemical word that describes a state in which opposing forces or influences, like work and life, are balanced. And I know we both love chemistry, one of us more than the other, but equilibrium doesn't just happen in chemistry, it's everywhere in biology as well, in ecosystems, even in economics and social sciences. Yeah, you're right. In fact, balance is really pretty much hardwired into us. If we think about the way that our bodies work, the way that living systems operate, there's lots of things that have to be kept in balance to make sure that they're working properly. So one example would be stepping outside on a hot Australian summer's day. It's 40 degrees outside. Our body has to adjust to keep us at the safe working temperature of 37 degrees. (laughs) The safe working temperature. (laughs) You're such a chemist. I love that. And if any of these systems that are creating this healthy balance for living fail, then it's very, very bad news indeed. So back to our chemical reaction then. When the amount of A, B and C are all stable, a chemical reaction has reached equilibrium. And that doesn't mean the reaction stopped. A and B are still making C and C is still breaking back down into A and B, but the overall amounts are steady. That's it. And his second question is also to do with equilibrium. He says he doesn't have any work-life balance, but the thing is, he does. It's just that his equilibrium isn't where he wants it to be. Nice. And that is where I come in. Fighting the natural equilibrium of chemical reactions is something that we chemists are often trying to disturb. Yes, upsetting the natural balance. It's in your job description. Yes, we're disruptors. So let's get back to the reaction A plus B goes to C. If my job as a chemist is to produce as much of C as possible, then what I want to do is to shift the equilibrium so that it favours the production of this product. So maybe by whacking up the temperature? Well, yes, but it's not quite that simple, Bernie. Sometimes you might actually have to lower the temperature because it depends on the exact reaction you're working with and the position of its equilibrium. Uh Another thing that you could possibly do is to add some starting material or remove some product. So changing the concentration. Yes, and sometimes, especially if we're talking about reactions with gases, you might have to change the pressure. The chemist that summarised all of these rules and came up with his very own principle is Henri-Louis Le Chatelier. And here's what he said. When a system at equilibrium is perturbed, the equilibrium position will shift in a direction that tends to minimise or counteract the effect of the disturbance. So if you mess with a system in balance, it fights back. Exactly. That's Le Chatelier's principle, and it's a general way of summing up what we discussed before. As chemists, we can put stress on a system... Like a chemical reaction. Exactly. And by applying this stress, we can change where the equilibrium sits in that chemical reaction so that we can push it to produce more of what we want. So more of A and B or more of C, depending on what's got the better street value. So can you give us an example of a reaction? 
Oh, there's so many to choose oh, from. <laughs> but let's talk about the reaction that Le Chatelier spent a lot of time working on, and that's the formation of ammonia from nitrogen and hydrogen. Oh, God, you know, I used to think this was the most boring reaction in history, um, you know, just a way of making disinfectant. And But working out how to make ammonia has been crucial for humankind's survival and occasional destruction, has it not? Yeah, ammonia is the starting point for making lots of explosives and sadly this has killed, you know, many, many people in the world wars and and since. But on the other hand, ammonia is used to make fertiliser and without these advances in the way that we can grow crops, we wouldn't be able to feed the growing world population. Yes, well, fertilisers have their own problems as well, but let's focus on the reaction. Yeah, that's another episode, I think. (laughs) The reaction in question is called the Haber process. Yeah, which is weird that it's not called the Le Chatelier process. Well, that's because Fritz Haber had the final success with this reaction, but Le Chatelier spent a lot of time working on it. So the process involves nitrogen gas and hydrogen gas reacting with each other to form ammonia, and it's a really difficult reaction to get going. So amongst many of the things that Le Chatelier tried was to increase the pressure of the reaction. Unfortunately, there was a very serious accident in his lab and one of his assistants was killed. Oh, that's awful. It really is. And some of these first experiments were very, very dangerous because even though these chemists were brilliant, they're trying to make big discoveries. The work health and safety is not in place and a few pretty big mistakes along the way were almost inevitable. So how did Haber crack the process? Well, in quite a few ways. I mean, he designed a catalyst, first of all, which was needed to get the reaction to go at all. And then he had to fight the natural equilibrium of the reaction. And he did this by designing equipment that allowed him to run the reaction at high temperatures and pressures that were needed for the formation of ammonia. And then a little bit later, a team of industrial chemists led by Carl Bosch wanted to scale up this process so they could make huge amounts of ammonia. And they also had to fight the equilibrium. And they came up with a few nifty methods, including one way of removing the ammonia that was formed in the process. And according to Le Chatelier's principle, if we remove this product, we push the equilibrium to favour its production and we get more ammonia at the end. So Haber was successful where Le Chatelier failed. Yes, and he actually won the Nobel Prize a little bit later. And I think it's fair to say that Le Chatelier was pretty devastated. Yeah. I let the discovery of the ammonia synthesis slip through my hands. It was the greatest blunder of my scientific career. Poor sausage. Oh, I do feel sorry for him, but really, Le Chatelier has no reason to feel sad. He contributed so much to the world of science and students, chemistry students all over the world, are thrilled to be learning his principle. (laughs) They're blessing his socks every day, I'm sure. Well, so that's all well and good, Al, but I can't see this helping Anonymous. I really don't see him being able to tweak his temperature, pressure or concentration in a way that will give him work-life balance. Well, he could go on holiday to somewhere a bit warmer and that might cheer him up, but don't worry. I think we've got it covered in our letter. Je me lève. Dear Anonymous, you feel stuck in a rut at work, but that's because you've reached a position of equilibrium that doesn't suit you. Remember that like chemical reactions, not all careers reach the completion of a dream job. We all need balance in our lives, but balance and equilibrium are really not about staying the same. They're about adjusting for any changes that put pressure on your system. If you're working too hard, you can only be productive for so long. 
you need to relax and enjoy yourself to adjust for this. You've got plenty of options, even in the diverse sphere of auditing. And you can change way more about your life than just temperature, pressure or concentration. Take some time to weigh up the factors affecting your happiness and make some decisions that will help you to be effervescent and dynamic. Yours in science, Bernie and Alex. Well, that's it for this series of Dear Science. It's been great to be on the couch with you. And it's been even lovelier to be on the couch with you, Bernie. It's a very big couch, everyone. And if you've got a personal problem that you think science might be able to solve, or at least we can give you a few laughs along the way, then please hit us up on Twitter at Dear Science Pod. And if we like your question, we'll do our best to be in touch. Funding pending. Until next time, it's bye from me, Bernie Hobbs. And bye from me, Alice Williamson. I'm not